Well, good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. Boy, if you're here visiting, uh, special shout out. Thanks for making the effort to come out. Yeah, if you're joining us online, they just switched the camera on me. There you are. Uh, we're glad you visited. You're uh, joining us. So when I was 10 years old, uh, I was in the living room, and my dad was home early on this particular day. And he walked into the kitchen. I heard him tell my mom, I got let go today. I didn't quite know what that meant, but pretty quickly I deduced that he was no longer employed. And that would be a start of about eight years. Uh, my dad couldn't get along with his boss. He was always looking for a new job because he felt threatened. And, and I, I felt threatened for two reasons. One is the financial part of it, like how are we going to make this go? And the second part of it was um, I was going to be separated from my friends because we were looking at um, potentially moving. And in fact, that happened two times. And in the eighth grade year, uh, my eighth grade year, we were living in the Detroit area. And because of my dad's job, we moved to the Chicago area. Then as the junior, we were living in the Chicago area and we ended up having to move to the Houston area. And I had nothing to process those threats. And so I would go to bed at night, crying, not knowing what to do, feeling almost desperate. Well, threats come in various forms, don't they? It could be job, it could be friends, it could be health. It could be a whole host of things. My question was, is where do we go? What assurances do we have when we feel threatened? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to um, 1 Samuel 23. Uh, we're going to go through this passage all the way through. And we're going to wrestle with this question, what's our assurance when we feel threatened? What is our assurance when we feel threatened? Now, if you haven't been with us, we're in a, a series entitled Reliant. Uh, we're taking the self out of that. We want to believe that God is the source of our reliance. And to do that, we're looking through the books of First and Second Samuel. This is where Israel transitioned from being a loose federation of states to a monarchy. Perhaps the big issue they had was with feeling threatened. Uh, the Philistines were this kind of ever-present, ubiquitous enemy, among others, but they were the, kind of the prominent one. And they thought, you know, we'd be a lot better off if we had a king. And God said, you know, I don't know that that's a great idea. Uh, we want one anyway. And so God said, I'm going to give you your king, and you're going to find out that what you really need is me. So the first king was a guy named Saul. When he was anointed, it was very clear, you don't have absolute authority here, um, and you need to follow me. Well, Saul didn't get that memo. And, and a couple different times, he just did his own thing. And God said, I'm moving on. And he anointed a second king. His name's David. And we're in that position right now. It's kind of awkward. Saul's the sitting king, but David's the king that's in waiting. I don't know that Saul knows that David is the king in waiting, but he sees David's popularity on the rise. And this is the David who dropped Goliath with a stone. And so Saul turns Yes, even paranoid and begins to chase David, pursue David. So David certainly feels threatened. Last week we saw David didn't handle this well. He lied on a certain occasion without going into details. That cost the lives of uh, 85 priests. But God in his scandalous grace continues to uh, favor David. And yet David is being chased by Saul. And in chapter 23, verse 1, we're going to find out he has another problem. Here we go. So then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering the threshing floors. 
Keilah was in a disputed area between Israel and the Philistines, and it's come harvest time, and they've harvested their crops, and the Philistines are coming in stealing their harvest. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm a, I'm a metro kid, but I think that would be a big bummer if you do all the work of planting and tilling and all that kind of stuff, and somebody comes in to steal. Now, the one who should be protecting Israel is Saul, the king. That's why they wanted a king, right? They wanted protection. But Saul's obsessed with David, so he's not anywhere to be found in this. And so it falls upon David. Verse 2, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. So David goes and he gets a word from God, go, absolutely go do it. That's good, except David's men aren't on board. Verse 3, but David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? Look, we're being chased by Saul. That's, that's a big enough deal. But now you want us to go fight the Philistines? I'm not sure I'm on board with that. You know, sometimes God's direction in our life will be unsettling. Yeah, it'll, it'll even make us afraid sometimes. And we know God's number one command to his people is do not fear. But let's be honest. Sometimes what's going on is fearful. What then? Here's what I do. I mean, you can think about it. There's a principle I want to bring out here in the next couple verses. But it's part of the reason I journal. When, when I get afraid, I, I just write it out. I just write it out. I'm someone who goes through five psalms and a, a proverb a day. And somewhere in the psalms, the character of God will come out. And I will say, in light of what's written here on these pages, my fear, how does that stand up to what God says about himself in his word? I don't know what works for you, but I think we need to look at our fears in light of who God is, because that's exactly what David does in verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord once more, and I'm sure he brings these fears to him. The Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So, verse 5. David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. So God is true to his word. If you go, I'll deliver. But there's this other issue about Saul out there, and that's an ever-present threat for David. So verse 6 says, Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. Ephod is a, a garment in which the priest is going to seek the Lord. And he's going to do some interceding for David. Before we get there, we're going to switch to Saul. Here's what Saul thinks in verse 7. It says, it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. For he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. What's Saul's conclusion here? The Lord is turning David over to me. Is that what's happening? No, 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 no. God's anointed David a king. God said, you're going to be my king. But Saul is, well, he's disconnected from God. And he's assuming his wants are God's will. He couldn't be more wrong. But do you know... You and I are capable of doing the same thing. 
We want something so badly, we assume it's the will of the Lord. So as a pastor, I get all kinds of stuff. I will come to people. People will come to me in their marriage, and it's not going well. And they've met this other person, and Andy, I'm truly in love, and God is love, so this might just be the will of the Lord. No, 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 no. I, I can tell you it's not based on what the Bible says about marriage. Or when I was in campus ministry, uh, people would start dating somebody who was not following God at all. And Andy, I just really feel God's peace. I, I get it. You're not sitting in the, alone in the dorm room Friday night, but, but don't assume that for God's will. When we assume something that God's will, the first thing we need to do is, does it line up with the word of God? If it doesn't, it's not. Okay, it's not. It's not. Second thing is, Bible tells us there's abundance uh, there's victory in an abundance of counselors. Hopefully, we're developing relationship and truth tellers around us who can say, yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah, I might reconsider that. I'm not saying we absolutely do everything they say, but if they're saying, you might want to go slow on this, yeah, we might, we might want to go slowly on that. How does this play out? I told you I was, had a couple of different pastoral searches, and this one was... Uh, Talking about the search that led me to higher on at Lincoln Berean, and then out of Lincoln Berean, we planted here. You know, churches come up on the internet, and, and there is this small church in rural South, uh, rural South Dakota. And I'm a, I'm a metro kid. I spent the summer of my sophomore year in a, a town of 12,000 in the panhandle of Texas and thought, this is really not me. My wife is from rural uh, Northeast Alabama, it's great to go visit, but I think, yeah, I never, I just wouldn't fit me. But I thought, yeah, you know, I, maybe the Lord's in this. And, and so I sent him off a resume, and then Lincoln Brian contacts me, and I get going, and, and they write me back about three weeks in, and they say, well, what do you think? Would you, would you want to go forward? And I just think, what was I thinking? I mean, this is not me. This wouldn't be fair to them. It wouldn't be fair to me. What did I do? I, I wanted a job so badly. I assumed something that wasn't of God was. We do that. We project. We want something so badly. It's of God, and, and we go forward. And boy, somebody tells me, Andy, God's leading me. Well, I'm real careful. I, I don't want to be going against God. But my question is, how did you determine that's the Lord's leading? Because what Saul is showing us is we can assume something that is of God is not. Because clearly, it's not. God's hand is on David. He didn't deliver David over to Saul. So what does Saul do? He summoned all the people for war, verse 8. Go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Because don't you know, God's going to turn them over to us. Now David knew that Saul was plotting against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephah here. We're going to seek God to see what I should do. Here we go, verses 10 through 12. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord of God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said he will come down. And David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Okay, so obviously, I mean, God has given David a little intel here. He's not turning David over. So what does David do? Verse 13, then David and his men of about 600 arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the strong wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. 
And Saul sought him every day. And if you don't catch anything, catch this. Last part of verse 14. But God did not deliver him into his hand. See, there's all kind of stuff going on here. There's, I'm getting information and there's telling, I, I know where David is. And, and, and there's all kind of machinations and there's all kind of stuff going on here. But you know what's true above all the human endeavors? But God is sovereign over all. Wonder, I wonder, do you got stuff going on in your life right now where it's kind of like, this has happened and that has happened and it's not working out and this is supposed to and this and that and I got this doctor's report and I got this relationship I got this job I got this got this got this got this I can't tell you how it's specifically going to play out but I want to tell you this but God Amen. is sovereign over that kind of stuff so David still on the run the reprieve is temporary. Verse 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life when David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. So David gets a little break, breaks off his chase at Keilah, but he pursues him at Ziph. So David's on the run again, threatened again. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Encouraged him in God. What's going on there? What does that mean? Well, verses 17 and 18 tell us what specifically Jonathan did. Jonathan said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh, while Jonathan went to his house. What did Jonathan do? Reminded him of what God said. Reminded him of what was true. But aren't we, need, aren't we people, once in a while, who need to be reminded of what God said? Aren't we people who, once in a while, need to be reminded of what is true? That God's faithful in the stuff that's going on in your life and my life. I was a director, University of Northern Colorado. Um, every month, we'd get together for these campus director overnights. And there was a guy at University of Colorado. He was about five, six years older than me. He used to say this to me. Andy, we live for encouragement. We die without it. We, we live for encouragement, my friends, and we die without it. Courage to do what? Remember God is sovereign. In the stuff of life. Remember verse 14. But God. We need that reminder. So then I got. Twofold question for you. Who are the people. In your life. That can encourage you. Because there are times. We all get discouraged. We all get. Is this really going to end. I mean these circumstances. This health issue. This relational thing. This job. This, this. 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 Has been going on forever. Who is it in your life. That can say. Hey. 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 God's still in control. God's still in control. Who are the people. Because we live for encouragement to die without. Here's the second part of the question. Who can you encourage? Somebody needs to hear from you. Because they're about to get. They, 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 I, I've been doing this God thing. And I just don't think. No, 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 no. They need to hear from you. That God's still trustworthy. Who is it you need to encourage? 
we're, we're in a relational faith, okay? We serve a relational God. He's triune. Father, Son, and Spirit have been relationally eternal. Jesus, you see him on earth. He was a relational person. He always had people around. We're in a relational faith. So who can you call this week to encourage or to be encouraged? What's the application here, Pastor? Here's one of them. Who can you encourage? Well, who needs to encourage you? Well, David is encouraged by Jonathan. This is a good thing because verse 19 says, Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakilo, which is south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul and do so, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. I mean, they're trying to win favor with Saul. Saul's a sitting king. Saul, verse 21 says, May you be blessed of the Lord. You found God's favor. No, you haven't. You're, you're turning on God's anointed, but oh well. For you have had compassion on me. Go now and make sure and investigate and see his place where his haunt is and who has seen him there. For I am told that he is very cunning. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty and I will go with you. If he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. So they have their marching orders. So then, they, verse 24, they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arborah, to the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David into the wilderness of Maon. Now David went on one side of the mountain, and David... Uh, so, I'm sorry, Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and the men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. I mean, it looks bad, doesn't it? He's on the mountain and he's being surrounded. Remember verse 14? Remember we read, but God, I mean, God's not going to deliver. I mean, is, is God failing here? I mean, this, this looks bleak. I mean, going around two sides, you're going to be seized. No helicopters to extract you. No, no, no way out here. God failed? David not going to be anointed? Verse 27, but, that's always a transition. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry, hurry, hurry and come. Why? For the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they called that place the Rock of Escape. What a coincidence, huh? What a coincidence. Here's what I find in looking back at 40 plus years of walking with God. I got a bunch of holy coincidences. Just showed up this at that time. Hey, look, if the Philistines had it right, it got, God had other options. It wasn't like God was down to us. Ooh, glad the Philistines showed up. It was what he chose to use to move his plan and purposes forward. David ain't going to be caught. That's all. And God's got a whole bunch of stuff that he can play. A whole bunch of cards he can play. This just happened to be one of them. So what's the result? David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. The chase will continue. For a while. But verse 14 is still in play. But God is not going to deliver David into Saul's hands. 
See, we're, we're wrestling with this question, what's our assurance when we feel threatened? Here's the deal. Nothing. Nothing will thwart God's plans and purposes for his people. Amen. Nothing, nothing is going to thwart God's plans and purposes for his people. Some of you have been feeling threatened a long time. You wonder, what is it? When, how, when does this end? I don't know. I, I can't, can't give you that answer. But here's what I'm going to tell you. From what you're facing right now, nothing's going to thwart God's plans and purposes for your life and my life. Threats come in all kinds of forms, don't they? And they kind of test what we believe. So this is years ago. I was uh, officiating a a wedding in Fremont, and it was the rehearsal dinner. It was a Friday night, and I go up 77 out of Lincoln, and you know, if you've been up there, 77 jogs, and it goes east and west, then you turn left, and you go north into Fremont, and so I'm going east on 77, and there's a big front, oh, I don't know, just a couple of three miles in front of me, and it's kind of moving along like I am, and I would find out this was a wind shear that went into Omaha and caused all kinds of damage. So if I had been a smart fella, what would I have done? I would have stopped and I would have parked the car and I would have let the front go, right? But I'm not a smart fella. I was on a tight time schedule. I didn't want to be late for the rehearsal. So I turn north into Fremont and I go right into that front. And I realize I'm in trouble when I see a semi on its side. I thought, oh, this wasn't a good decision. And for two minutes, it is just brutal. And in a moment, I think, I'm terribly frightened here. And I just cry out, God, <laughs> I made a bad decision. Would, in your grace, would you spare me? What was the assurance I had in those moments? That the plans and purposes for my life would not be thwarted by my stupidity. What do you got going on right now? You know God's in charge there, but God. And maybe you're getting a little discouraged right now, and maybe, like David, you need a Jonathan to come along. Would you make a call? Or, or maybe you, you need to, you know somebody, you need to encourage them. God's plans are perfect. They're not going to be thwarted, but, but we forget that. We give in on, I do, give in on circumstances. Maybe the ultimate example of someone who understood this was Jesus. He was... Came to earth by design of God, born of a virgin, that's what we sang about. Lived a perfect life. Uh, in fact, lived the life we were supposed to. Complete submission to God right before, uh, right after the point he was delivered over to be crucified. In this moment, he's, I'm talking about he's sitting before Pilate. And Pilate's kind of his last shot before he goes to the cross. And, and then Jesus goes silent on Pilate. And this, this is what was said in John 19.10. So Pilate said to him, him being Jesus, you not speak to me? Hey, pal, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? I love Jesus' answer here. Here we go. Jesus answered, dude, you would have no authority over me unless it's been given you from above. Pilate, the reason you're sitting here in judgment over me is because that has been ordained from above. And you don't know it, but pal, you're playing the will of God right here. 
As sinister as this action is, as evil as it is, God's going to redeem this for the salvation of the world, like yours and mine. Jesus goes on, for the reason he delivered me to you, for the, this reason he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Man, I cannot promise you an outcome. And what's is it, Andy, it's going to end this way. And then, no, I can't promise you that. I can't. Here's what I can promise you, though. The plans and purposes of God in your life it's not going to be thwarted. Even when you're stupid like I was, driving into the storm. God is sovereign even over that. Heard me speak before, you know, I spent the 93-94 school year in Russia. And it was, I was in Siberia, and it's kind of a wild ride there. Um, but maybe what made me most feel threatened was uh, we would take... Lufthansa, a German airline, into Moscow, but all the flights, and we were four hours out of Moscow. In the country, you had to fly Aeroflot. That's the Russian airline, or was. I think it's still the other. But they had a, a horrible safety record. There was no FAA overseeing. There was no maintenance plan. You just took your chances. I was on the second team on this campus into, uh, out in Novosibirsk. But there was a guy back he was on the first team, and he came back for the second year. He said, Andy, it was Domodedovo Airport. Where it was doesn't matter. Where we would fly out of, there was a burned-out fuselage there. So you go into the thing, and you're getting on board, and there's a stark reminder that you could go down, and that nobody would ever know. Why would you get on a plane in those circumstances? Because you believe God's called you. In this case, to take the gospel to the people in Akadem Gordok. And nothing's going to thwart the plans and purposes of God. Just a side note on that. So we took Aeroflot in the country. And then when I left, I left with my wife, then my fiance. She was in Kazakhstan. And then all the international flights went out of Moscow and we flew home, we flew to Alabama, we had, from the time we hit the ground, we have five and a half weeks till we get married. And in that, I need to go out to Colorado to find us a place to live, because as soon as we get married, I'm going to start seminary. So I got a travel agent, and I got to get this flight, and he said, I got a good price on this, this new airline, I can't remember the airline, and it's a, you know, the startup, they got a good price. And I said, you know, is this a reputable airline? Because you know, I'm just three weeks out from getting married, I don't, just don't want to go down. And the guy says, oh yeah, yeah, you can trust them. And as honestly as I can tell you, he says, you know, they're not like Aeroflot or something like that. And I think, buddy, I just flew on Aeroflot. <laughs> whether it's Aeroflot, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a job or whether it's a health issue or whether it's a, the purposes of God, the plans of God are not going to be thwarted in your life and my life. What's our assurance when we feel threatened? The plans and purposes of God will not, will not be thwarted. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we're grateful for this assurance that your purposes, your plans are not thwarted. That you're above it all, even in our foolishness. Um, verse 14 says, but God, <laughs> but God continues to reign, but God continues to be sovereign. Whatever we assume, whatever we think, whatever we do. Um, I pray we'd take hold of that and we would internalize that. Secondly, Lord, I, I pray we'd be people who would encourage 
and seek encouragement to do what? To keep believing God in the midst of our stuff. Threats are real. They're not going away. But we have an assurance in the purposes and plans of Jesus for our life. And it's his name we pray. Amen.